And away we go. Welcome into The Dish, a fantasy baseball strategy podcast. I'm your host, Dan Strafford. Stepping up to The Dish today is Vlad Sedler, head of MLB Fantasy over at FTN, previous Tout Wars champion, NFB, NFBC Pro. I, I, I hope I get this right. 39-time champ on the platform. Variety of different contests there. Co-host the FTN Fantasy Baseball Podcast, which is available, of course, on all your favorite podcasting apps. 39 times is a, a, is a big number, Vlad. Yeah, I mean, it's over a span of uh, many years and also a span of uh, many many different formats. I'm definitely a, uh, a volume and league player, but uh, but it's fun. And, and thank you for having me, Dan. Always a pleasure to uh, do my, my, my annual uh, check-in with you and talk some baseball. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, I know you, uh, myself, and Matt Modica in the past have chatted as well. Matty Moe will be on uh, later. He he sort of pleaded uh, for some time. Mm-hmm. He needs to get prepped. He felt like he needed to, to put some ducks in a row before he came on to talk. He will be on later on. But I, I do thank you for coming on. I do want to jump into sort of the broader talk about NFBC and contest selection because that's we've talked about that in the past. I talked to Jenny Butler about that, but I want to get first from you. Forget NFBC, forget home leagues, forget whatever it is. What's your favorite type of fantasy baseball? Scoring format, draft style. If you were given any ability to write your perfect league, what would it be? I guess in that regard, I'm uh, very boring and old school. Uh, you know, call, call call me old guard if you will, but your standard five by five uh, roto scoring is, is what my preference is. I, I absolutely love the auction formats. I actually do. Uh, you know, it's a shame that I don't play more of them. At some point, uh, when you're it's the middle of March and you're preparing for certain leagues and you're like, oh man, once again, another year and I failed to, to jump into an auction. I did do a live one. You mentioned Matty Moe. Uh, him and I, he, he invited me to join his live auction in Vegas one year and man, that was uh, that was an absolute blast. With the exception of us overspending on Noah Syndergaard that year, the year that he ended up uh, getting hurt and busting. That, well, there you have it. But uh, I've been talking to more and more people. I was very much a draft purist for a while. I said, auctions aren't for me. Auctions are the way to go. If, if you want to have, and to your point, in-person auctions are just such an exhilarating, fun way to play fantasy sports. So if you get a chance, whether playing NFBC or a home league or, or whatever it might be, you, know, you have fan tracks out there, all these different sites, check out an auction league if you haven't done it as of yet. I did mention Jenny Butler. We've talked to NFBC uh, in passing with a couple of other guests. But what's your approach, right? there? I, I hope everyone knows by now, NFBC is not one style of play. There are multiple different types of contests there. There are multiple different uh, price points. Obviously, should be a consideration for most people as well. But what's your approach to looking at the lobby, looking at the stretch of what 8 to 12 weeks when we're drafting? How do you approach the lobby and how do you approach context contest selection it's uh for me it's pr- pretty standard i i know that i'm always going to be drafting one uh, main event which is a 15 team five by five roto and draft that in vegas with uh, with everyone in in person i usually do one of those in, online as well and uh and, and i do a bunch of 12 teamers those are also uh yeah, i'm sure we'll talk about it later but contests that uh you, you win money for your league, but there's also an overall component uh, because it is a national national contest. I draft a lot of those in February. 
And then since we're sort of moving back in time, now uh, January is really, it's still a lot of research, it's prep, information gathering, understanding draft boards and people's uh, strategies and tendencies. Now is is uh, draft champion season and draft champions is NFBC's version of the draft and hold, which uh, you draft 50 players, usually a slow draft, and you're stuck with that roster for the, the duration of the season. There are lots of other cool new formats. They've obviously... Uh, now have lower price points on some of these. They're the NFBC 50s, uh, you know, 12 team leagues that I think are fantastic. Uh, they're qualifiers for people that I, I've know, known a few people that have gotten into main events and built their bankrolls that way. And uh, you know, there's a, there's a guillotine leagues which are which are cool. Um, you know, I haven't really wrapped my head around those yet. And uh, now they're doing keepers, so they've got a little bit of uh, everything for everyone. So yeah, just as of this year, uh, keeper leagues. Yeah, I, I, Vlad saw my eyes light up a little bit there. I hadn't seen the Keeper Leagues uh, as of yet, but I will check that out. Guillotine Leagues are a fun way. I I played them in fantasy football. I've never played them in baseball, but uh, basically as teams lose, their players come back into the free agent pool and you can make different moves and, and, and the like there. Scott Fish, I know, has talked in, in the uh, fantasy football world about guillotine there are some other guys as well who have talked about it you already mentioned the the league of leagues is how i i call it or overall whatever it might be i'm going to skip one question and come back to it for those at home yes i do send my questions ahead of time uh to the people i have on but um does your approach change uh, for a league of league and over uh, league of leagues and overall championship comparatively to playing in a you know single redraft league of 15 teams Absolutely, and and this is what my my game is geared geared towards, and it's why you'll notice me taking more risks. Like when I'm posting my draft board, you'll you'll notice because they're mostly in uh, for overall contests. I definitely blend in some of that upside because you know you you don't want to just draft straight uh, old and boring uh, the Kyle Seeger guys, you would call it uh, in an overall competition. You absolutely want to mix some of those guys in. You probably don't want to take too many risks in the early rounds. But in those type of contests, uh, I'm more likely in the 30th round, in, instead of trying to get some bench depth, I will go for somebody that perhaps I see uh, earning a closer role to avoid having to spend a good chunk of uh, my, my, my fab budget later on in the season, or uh, maybe a, a prospect I might take a shot on that I think might be called up early. So absolutely different approaches. And uh, I mean, you know, for, for a couple of years there, I played the, uh, the NFBC Platinum, which is a 15 team standalone league. And my partner uh, for one of those years or two of those years was, was Rob Silver, who was very, very, uh, I guess, wise in terms of figuring out unique strategies that sort of uh, are different there because you can get away with punting a little bit more. In these League of Leagues, as you call them, you, you have to have more balance. You want to have at least 80 percentile in almost you know, most categories if you want to have a chance at the overall. Uh, but in a standalone league, of course, you can get away with maybe not uh, drafting more than one closer and just kind of getting some saves, getting three, four points out of 15, uh, or maybe not having as many steals as you would like uh, in a normal league. Uh, but yeah, de definitely a big difference there. You've already sort of foreshadowed the question about closers later on. One of the big topics in fantasy baseball to start the year has been the rise of Hader and Hendricks on draft boards. But as we look at the variety of formats you play in, mentioning all those different types over on NFBC, do you shift rankings, projections, tiers, or is it simply a look at what we got and apply it to what we have 
in, in the draft format you have? So I do a lot of prep work in that regard because I, uh, I create my own uh, rankings. And, and I mean, they're not like a overall rankings of, you know, one through 400 players. It's uh, they're, they're called VD, uh, VDP. So it's my Vlad's draft positions. And it's essentially tiers uh, showing the drop-offs uh, per position. And it basically is a way to point out where what I like to call the market inefficiencies are, the underpriced, overpriced players per the ADP. Uh, I feel like a lot of times ADP is a you know, herd mentality. People see early on, oh, okay, this is where Cedric Mullins goes. This is where Sandy Al- Al- Alcantara goes. And they just you know kind of like, okay, well, if he falls here, I have to take him. So what I do when I, I get my, my Rotolab uh, software, I start uh, messing with the projections and, and get to a place where I'm comfortable with them. And it essentially spits out an auction value or a dollar value and tells me what this player is actually worth to me. Uh, and then I have a good idea of you know where where they go. And so, for example, if you remember, it was uh, I think it was 2016, but uh, that year I was doing my projections. There were two catchers that were going way late, like after 200 overall, who to me seemed like they could potentially be top 10 guys. Just to me, the math showed that they were worth a lot more than they should have been. And those guys were Yasmani Grandal and Wilson Ramos. And Sure be it. I mean, it doesn't happen every year, but that's an example of two guys that just stuck out to me. Doesn't necessarily mean I was going to take them, you know, jump them 100 picks ahead of ADP, but I knew they were targets. So I would make sure that I get them a little bit before their ADP showed up. I'll do a little uh, stumping here. Vlad's research and and VDP and uh, the five tool fantasy draft guide. Am I right with that? That's it. Yeah, that's it. All right. So uh, what Vlad's done over the years and what the other writers that have contributed there is really what I try to do in fantasy sports is ADP is wonderful and it gives you some guardrails and it gives you some understanding, but you're projecting the end of the year, not where they were drafted. And I think you've done a great job of that in just sort of establishing I don't really care where someone's drafted. I I, I care where they're going to end. Mm-hmm. And so looking at the differences there and where the market inefficiencies are and, and understanding, okay, I'm going to draft this guy maybe 50 picks ahead of ADP, but he's 20 picks behind where I value him. And so I'm getting a value in that pick, and I'm getting a guy who I want on my roster for the projections I have. I think it's wonderful, and I think we're sort of establishing that as a theme here uh, on the podcast as we go through of, really establishing your own way to approach it and not trusting fantasy pros is a great site. Their consensus ADP. I go to all the time, but that's historical. That that's something that has happened and is, is bringing numbers together, not the way the season's going to end. So just wanted to really hammer down on that. One of the things in your Twitter bio, and I know it's slightly tongue in cheek, but the fab whisperer, right? The idea of what you do each and every week as being sort of beyond uh, your own skill set, but being able to figure out exactly where those price values are going, where those dollars are going to be spent, where fab's going to matter. I I really wonder, from your perspective, when you're drafting, are you weighing fab at the same time? Are you combining those two thought processes to say, okay, draft is 40%, fab is 60? Do Do you have a formula there of how you approach it, or is it simply figuring it out as you go for each individual draft. Well, I think one of the goals in drafting is is obviously to obviously avoid the landmines, uh, find those underpriced players and, and collect them in a way that, that makes sense for whatever format you're playing. And also the, another goal is to avoid having to spend 
big chunks of money to uh, to cover inefficiencies on your own roster. So if you know for the unfortunately folks that miss yeah, that spend an early pick on Trevor Rosenthal and then missed him for the whole year and that's a closer and of course those people are going to be spending big chunks of money on on free agency over the course of the year. So I, I want to avoid I, I don't want to put myself in a hole off the bat. So I want to go into uh, the season with a nice balanced team. Same thing with pitching. Uh, you you know the the game of chasing two start pitchers in a week. It's a game that's very hard not to play. The later you get into that, having to chase wins and strikeouts, the better. And the uh, only way to do that is to have confidence in the base of pitchers that are on your team. And uh, you know so so it's really kind of like a, a balance throughout. Um, and some things are easier to find. It could be you know, easier to maybe. Uh, get stolen bases off the wire. You know, somebody gets called up, and you know they're a speed guy. You can you can go after that. Um, but yeah, I mean, we know what people spend money on in, in Fab. It's it's prospects and it's uh, closers. So if I am, you know, if I don't chase the upside too much there, I do it more so in my draft. I can basically save myself a lot of money. As far as the the split, it, it's really tough. I think I've even pulled people on that before. I mean, it can be anywhere sixty forty. You know, so much, I don't know, it really depends. Um, but I do know that a lot of um, people that have won overall contests or you know, even people that win leagues, a big chunk of it is the draft. But if you don't put any effort in fab, you're, you're probably not going to be able to pull it off. Yeah, as someone who has struggled, and I think I've actually tweeted directly at you, I struggle with fab. Like fab is a part of my game that each and every week I'm trying to refine and get better at and there's a struggle there. So I'm wondering from your perspective, I probably play eight to 12 leagues, maybe pushing 15 on, on a season. How do you handle the volume of fab for the number of leagues you're doing plus creating content for it, right? Like you're, you're, you're not only doing it for yourself. You're also trying to give information to a large amount of people who subscribe to FTN, follow follow you on Twitter, who do all these things. So how do you handle the volume of all of that each and every week? Well, I made the mistake. I, I don't know if it's a mistake, but uh, you know, a wife was pregnant with our second child, and, and I decided I was going to do 12 Fab Leagues when I never have more than five or seven. Really added a, a you know another plate uh, to, to the table that I, I really didn't need. But the, the, the tough part is it is minus EV for me to be putting it out there, especially if I'm right. playing against people that might uh, I might give them a heads up on somebody they may not have been thinking about. The good thing about where I play in NFBC, you do have a lot of stubborn people that are really smart and they have their own ideas on things and they're not just going to follow you know, what I say in an article. And usually if somebody is just straight up following or copying a list, they're probably not going to get very far anyway. So uh, it's always good competition. Uh, but the writing is what helps me. To be honest, I feel like I've become better at Fab because I'm starting to look at things um, over the course of the week. I'm not just trying to cram it all in there at the end. And because I have an article that I'm working on most of the times on Friday nights, and I, lay, I leave no stone unturned. So at each position, I'm sorting by um, by percentage rostered. I'm sorting by, you know, uh, last week's uh, stolen bases, like everything. And then looking at rosters, seeing, you know, who might be coming off the IL, who might be getting promoted, all those things to make sure find that kind of perfect blend. And then for my own teams, I just have to decide what my needs are. Uh, the other important part that I feel like I don't, it doesn't get talked about a lot is the the uh, priority list order behind your top guys. Because a lot of times people have all the same of the top players. Everyone kind of knows who the targets are that week. 
But what if you don't get them? I mean, good chances are you, you're not, especially in the early months. So setting it up with the players behind there, especially if it's someone you're going to use in, in the coming week. And, and that's the other thing, thinking about, am I getting a player that I want to use to stream this week or am I thinking more long-term and, and that balance? I, I love it. And I think that's breaking it down in a way that hopefully people listening can understand and, and take to heart as they figure out their approach to the season. Let me break from the questions I gave you. We're, so FTN, uh, it was established, Jeff Ratcliffe, uh, you know, you had Brad, you had different people over there, and now it's the, you know, FTN. What do they get if they were to subscribe, right? Like someone says, I'm going to subscribe for Major League Baseball over on FTN. What can someone expect from your team as you roll out in 2022? I mean, obviously, I'm, I'm pretty pretty biased, but I, I think well, it's... Uh, right, you should be. I hope you are. Yeah, I mean, I mean, as far as, I can, as I'm concerned is, is you're getting um, from some of the best players in the top format, their full transparency and uh, a lot of great way. It's what I realize is I'm not trying to cover a million bases. I, you know, I'm not trying to be Fantrax or, or CBS that gives you, you know, the prospects and the dynasty and this and that, like we want to teach people to be better fantasy players, how to recognize, you know, these market inefficiencies, learn how to draft better and kind of prepare yourself with a good arsenal to, to basically handle things during the course of the season, uh, because that's, that, that's really important. And, it, and I'm sure there is a little bit of a flair towards NFBC, but honestly, it can be applied to most other leagues. As, and as a matter of fact, uh, if, you know, you're, you're in a league with, you know, a home league, and other people are using some other ADP, even ADP there is a good tool. You use NFBC, you're already a little bit ahead of the curve there because you kind of know what the people that are putting in, you know, 150 to a few thousand dollars into their drafts are where they're valuing the market. I love that. And I think uh, anyone listening who's playing in their 12 or, or 15 team league at home, bunch of beers, bunch of guys sitting around a table trying to draft, trying to get the perspective of and i'm not going to use the word experts just people were putting their money behind yep. it right people were, were choosing to say a thousand two thousand five thousand dollars in these contests just has a little bit more weight than you might expect in a typical adp or even the, the magazine you pick up with the rankings and you walk into a draft room I, we are recording late night my time, January 31st. So we're about to turn into February. This is uh, the dish after dark as it is 11:15 uh, here on the East Coast. But we're getting tweets from Jeff Passan and Ken Rosenthal that the uh, Players Association and Major League Baseball are meeting again on Tuesday. There's not a ton of optimism from the Ken Rosenthal article that came out on Monday. You get some different news how are you handling what might be a delayed start to the year? I do want to note NFBC, and correct me if I'm wrong here, has guaranteed entries for Major League Baseball if they play less than 100 games. So if you enter and then Major League Baseball is less than 100 games, your money is guaranteed. You don't lose it. You get it back. Yep. Um, anything over 100, then that is considered a full season, and NFBC will play as normal. But how are you handling the the labor strife as it were and and how you're approaching drafting i'm paying just enough attention to it uh but not too much uh, because it's a whirlwind and i think on every little piece of news it can sway your mood and it can sway your attitude and i want to stay focused on you know, providing to, to paying subscribers and i want to make sure that uh, that that we deliver 
And so we're just going to give them the best as, as, as best we can for what we expect to be a full season. Uh, and plus, I'm, I'm generally optimistic. Uh, I think as, as we grow older, we all become a little bit less optimistic about people and, and power struggles <laughs> and that sort of thing. Uh, and yeah, I mean, it does seem like there's still going to be a lot of work to get done. Uh, at this point, what I, you know, I mean, it does appear like we might be missing some of spring training, which could affect uh, some things and some guys ramping up and possibly players with slow starts. And maybe it is a 130 game season. I mean, I'm, you know, that, that's quite possible. But the one thing I'm certain of is that there will be some form of baseball. And I'm pretty certain it's going to be over over 100 games. All right, we, we turn our attention towards 2022 momentarily, but a general practice here, and I, I think much like anything in life, being prepared matters. What's your approach to being sniped? We've all been there where we have our queue, we have five guys there, and we're six picks away, and all of a sudden those guys are gone. We're, we're in the moment. So what's your lesson to someone on staying calm in the moment, staying aware, being able to pivot, being agile. How do you approach being sniped in any round of any draft you're in? I think for anyone, it's just, uh, it comes from experience and it's, uh, it's even tougher in live events. And I remember very well, I was sitting next to a, a former champ in a draft. I think it was maybe 2014. And I just remember in like the 15th round, I had my, my heart set on D Gordon because I really needed steals. I was short on, on stolen bases. I knew I had to get them. And it looked like that was going to happen. And I was so focused on that fact, I forgot everything else. And of course, this player, KJ Duke, right in front of me, he took D Gordon, even though I assumed he didn't need him because I was looking at his steals. But hey, he just, you know, just uh, rich got richer. He grabbed him and, and that was a good, valuable lesson to me. So for me, I, I make sure that doesn't happen by being as prepared as possible and all uh, beforehand, but also in the draft, the most important thing is not to focus on that one player because what happens is you can turn into a deer in headlights like i have to get him i have to get him you start uh obsessing on that fact and you are not focused on what you're supposed to be doing which is to find a, an alternative option so i like to have uh i almost especially in live drafts i'm writing down players or just sort of marking guys in different regions who are my you know sort of next option so i know exactly where i'm going to go if what i'm expecting doesn't work out yeah, it, it, preparation is key, and I make the joke about the guy who walks in, or or, or woman who walks in with a, a magazine and plops it down. Is like, oh, I'm ready to draft. Here we are. I bought mm -hmm. my. I'm gonna insert random name here. Fantasy Baseball 2022 magazine. I'll check out the guys who, who were drafted. We're good. That's not gonna play in so many rooms. Your home league, it might. You know, you might be smart enough to walk into your home league and do that. But the preparation here is so key and being able to pivot, stay agile, whatever word you want to use uh, as you go through. Great advice there. We are finally going to talk 2022. You brought up closers before about, you know, Trevor Rosenthal, right? That was a key injury that lit a lot of teams on fire last year. Fab budgets were, were spent because he went down with injury. We're seeing a big push on Hendricks and Hayter. You even talk about someone like Raciel Iglesias and, and other names that are starting to push up some closer boards. Uh, Hendricks and Hayter, as of recording, 42nd and 43rd in Fantasy Pro's consensus ADP. What's your approach right now? How are you handling this push on closers and the risk-reward uh, around drafting these elite arms who may only pitch 60, 70 innings on the year? 
It, so it depends strictly on the type of format that you're playing. So if you're not in NFBC, you're in a home league, there is no uh, League of Leagues overall component. You can not make that as much of a priority. You can figure out some guys in the middle rounds who you can you know, take a shot on. Right now, the format that I'm uh, really into, that a lot of the community is playing, is the the NFBC draft champions, which are those those 50 round draft and holds. Their closers are a, a really high priority, especially with the fact that two thirds of the league we have no clarity on who, the, who those guys are going to be, and a lot of people don't want to spend picks in their teens on you know Michael Fulmer's and, and Tanner Rainey's of the world who may or may not close or may be in a committee and whatnot. So those top guys are of high priority. As a matter of fact, in NFBC season, the month of January, you will not get out of the second round without Hader and Hendricks being taken. So in the top 30. And, and so it's hard to wrap the head around that. It almost doesn't make sense. But it is, you know, it, it, it's something that I'm not, you hate to be the first person to kind of, you know, start a run or something like that. But, you, you know, before you know it, then all the other ones get pushed up. And the, even the next guys, I remember, uh, Rosella Iglesias went uh, early third. I heard he went second round in a draft. That's crazy. So I don't like to sort of push up the those players. Uh, there's always people in the mid-ranges who I like. But in that type of format where it's a draft and hold, and I know it well because last year I was uh, I played, I think, 12 of these draft champions one of them was 15th overall. All it really needed was some saves. I didn't have enough saves on the team. I was playing Adam Ottavino in Boston, hoping that he would you know, get the chance there down the stretch. Didn't get those saves. So yeah, I didn't get there to the top. And so um, perhaps I'm over, um, you know, kind of making up for it, but I'm really making sure that I, I get those closers. But if you have the early ones, um, you kind of put yourself in a better position. Um, and remember, everyone else is, if everyone else has taken early closers, there's still other value that falls later. And, and that's what we've seen, like, you know, the, the great Phil Dussault, who just had the greatest season of all time. He, he has no issues taking those early, early closers and, and building from there. I, I think it's a great point. And the thing I'm trying to hammer home here on this podcast, what I've talked about many times over, is if everyone is doing something, there is a pivot there, right? There is something else to do. And whether it's drafting a closer earlier, right? Taking Hader or Hendricks in the second round, as we're starting to see, or making that middle round adjustment to maybe take a, an Araldish Chapman. I, I like, just as a name, take him a little bit before his ADP, a little bit before his projection to start to even some things out. I think there's a lot of middle ground there to, to change, I think Vlad makes a great point here. Overall, your format matters most of all, mm -hmm. right? Your format, your league, how the scoring works, how the the everything shakes out, uh, when your fab cadence is, what you can do on the waiver wire is all parts of the these uh, pieces. I do want to get some thoughts from you on VDP or, or undervalued players that you have out there right now. You don't need to spill all of it because I know there are drafts still to be done. Don't want to give away the farm here. There are tens of people listening. So I don't want to, to get too far ahead of ourselves. But who are some some of the names that right now you feel like are being underdrafted, undervalued? Let's go with three. I think three is a small enough number. Don't want to get too crazy here. Uh, but names that you give to people listening that they should put that check mark next to maybe highlight in their magazine as a name to, to keep in mind as they're going through. Well, one that I've been talking about over the last month and, you know, Hey, if, if, uh, if other people are going to be sniping it, not sniping me, so be it. I'll have some, some options there. 
Uh, but but Brandon Belt on the uh, San Francisco Giants to me really stands out because, granted, he never seems to make it through a full season, uh, but we've seen a, a huge uptick in, uh, in in his power, his expected power. I mean, he hit you know what twenty nine home runs and very it, literally, literally a little bit over a hundred games. You know, missed a bunch of games last year and uh, top five in isolated power last year. Uh, something really clicked with, with with a lot of those hitters with the the, the, uh, the hitting coaches there. Uh, one of those coaches actually is going to the Texas Rangers, so that's something I'm, I'm keeping my eye on. Uh, but to me, like an ADP right now of around 240, when you've got guys that are, you know, other first basemen. I mean, I mean, a full season out of Brandon Belt versus, say, a Ryan Mountcastle who's younger, healthier, and everything. It's you know, that's 130 difference in ADP. That's 10 full rounds in in a, in a 12 teamer. And I just don't see the difference there. Um, and especially given the fact that there are so many later round values at the position that for some reason, if he does get hurt, uh, you could find admirable replacements. I mean, Jesus Aguilar, as a matter of fact, is another, yep. I mean, 90 plus RBI last season as a guy going after 250 overall. He's going 300 this year. So I think he's someone else that uh, that stands out to me. So a lot of value there at the uh, the, the first base position. As far as starting pitcher, um, you know, somebody that comes to mind is uh, or that I've been drafting a lot of is Tony Gonsolin of the Dodgers, who uh, obviously had uh, some issues last season with health. But uh, you know, even if they add Granky or whomever they add, they're still kind of short there in the rotation. May or may not get Kershaw back. Kershaw may or may not even start. Who knows what his deal is? Uh, and so somebody like Gonsolin, I think, is. Fantastic. He's always been a good um, help for the ratios. It's very rare that you can find somebody with a, a, a ERA under 350, or at least projected under 350, WHIP under 120, um, with with pretty much a K per nine around that price range. So to me, he's just somebody that really stands out that I feel like people are uh, are really undervaluing. As far as uh, you know, just like as a third, uh, an overvalue would be. Some of those guys that uh, people are paying up on steals for the veterans, specifically Whit Merrifield and uh, uh, Starling Marte, fantastic. Hey, those guys are are, are great. Uh, they're not going to hurt you. They have very solid floors. But they're on the wrong side of thirty, uh, and I don't know. I just don't see a repeat of forty plus stolen bases uh, for these guys. And uh, yeah, I mean, go, second round price, third round price. I'd almost rather take a closer <laughs> if I had to and, and figure out steals in another way. Well, it's a, it's a great sort of mental exercise also to value steals against saves, right? Like to start to figure those things out and how much access you have to those things throughout the draft. I will also say I'm the wrong side of 30, wrong side of 40 as well at this point. Same. So uh, my, my, my steals are not, not anywhere where they used to be. <laughs> I do want to ask you, and I did not put this on the sheet, so I will uh, plead uh, for your forgiveness, but Julio Urias has been this this topic this year of a variety of reasons. I know there was a, a uh, poll put out on Twitter that you uh, took some time to retweet and say, I'm very intrigued by the results here. Uh, this is a kid who has been so, so ballyhooed. Like, he has been the talent we've seen at the age of 17, 18. We've waited for him. We saw it last year. We saw 180 innings. We saw the K was, I think the K per nine was around 9.48 or so. I might be missing the number there. Yeah, that's about it. But, but he went from 60, uh, 70 some odd innings to 180 innings. He's still 
quote-unquote unproven in a track record as a starter. Do you have a take on Urias and, and where he's going? And I hope I'm pronouncing his name correctly. I just looked up the pronunciation. I'm terrible at names. Um, do you have a take here? Because I, he is one of the ones that I think is going to define a lot of people's drafts. I think he's sort of that line in the sand for some people on SP1 versus SP2. And where you're drafting him is going to determine a lot of different things as you move forward. I mean, I try not to be too biased with my players, uh, yep. meaning Dodgers, and uh, right. in, in in fact, it, it almost the opposite. I try to be a little a little harder on them, and and you know, obviously give them a fair shake because again, this is uh, uh, even though this is fun, it's also kind of you know, business. Uh, I want to you know I want to draft the best team. I don't want to uh, to be drafting with my heart. But it's been clear for many years uh, that Dodger pitchers are are elite as a as a unit. Uh, as far as the ERA over the last half decade, I mean, I think maybe the Rays and Cardinals come close. Team ERA among starters over the last half decade, it's, it's, it's insane how well they produce. And it's a great park for it. It's a good division for them. And uh, Urias is a, an elite talent. Uh, he is a elite, elite control. That's the most important thing here is uh, the guy just literally does not walk anyone. Uh, you know, walk rate last year around five. Uh, and, uh, I mean, he's a warrior. Uh, I understand that, uh, this last season was the first year that he has thrown more than a hundred innings and we saw him, uh, lose a little steam there down the stretch was, ex- was expected, but still at the end of the season, uh, 32 starts, he had ERA under three and his XERA was right around there. It was a little over three, same with the fit right around, right around three. Uh, and I don't know, you just, there could be another level with the strikeouts, um, as far as hard hit, I think he's. I think he is the the best uh, among qualified pitchers as far as lowest uh, hard hits are allowed. Yep. Barrel rate right around five percent. So, to me, he's a he's a solid investment around where he's going. Um, you know, I was talking to some of the guys earlier. We're comparing to uh, like Max Fried, for example. Max Fried could be um, this year's. Uh, okay, we don't want to say this year's. You could scratch that from the yeah. <laughs> But but what I mean is 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 Freed is also fantastic with control. He's not a super high strikeouts guy, and he plays for a good team. So Max Freed could potentially give you a fantastic value. Maybe he even reaches twenty wins at a you know ADP double. Right? I mean it, it's thirty for Urias right now and sixty for Freed. So there's something to be said there. You get a couple of those guys, and you mix it up with some high strikeout guys, and you've got yourself a really nice base and a nice rotation. So as long as he's healthy. I think he's going to be a top five pitcher this year. All right. I, I dig it. I, it. He feels like that polarizing SP one this year. Like the guy who you're going to have to make a choice on. You mentioned Max Fried, uh, Matty Moe, Matt Modica mm-hmm. uh, may have tweeted out something similar to that. And I know that's where the discussion point probably came yep. from. I do want to transition here. And uh, I, a, I hate using the word follower, but someone who follows Joe Pizapia on Twitter suggested that the dish also talk about food and talk about, of course. I, I, it makes sense. I didn't connect those things, but now I'm here. I made a terrible dinner for my family tonight. I will admit that <laughs> uh, it was fine. Everything was cooked, but did not live up to the standards I would like to do. But I want to talk draft, draft day foods, draft day snacks, whatever it might be. What's your go-to Vlad as we close out this podcast? What's the thing that if uh, Vlad sitting down to, to draft with a bunch of friends 
hopefully together if covid lets us be together uh what's the thing that you need to have on hand as the go-to snack well, I make sure that I'm never hungry uh, going into a draft because you, you don't want to be thinking about food. You don't want to be making hangry picks. So uh, the good thing is in Vegas, we are fed. It's part of the uh, the entry fee is, you know, we're at the Bellagio and there's food, coffee and everything. And usually there's a, a really nice buffet meal after the uh, the 20th round, I believe, or maybe it's after the 10th round. But either way, nice you know meal. And, and that draft usually starts at 11. So it's right around lunchtime. Before that, I always make sure that I have something, you know, like a, a croissant, just, you know, put something along with a coffee into the belly so I'm good to go. If I'm at home, I would like some homemade Russian food. You know, my mother-in-law makes a fantastic katlete, uh, which is basically just, you know, um, it's just, uh, uh, what is it, ground chicken, um, like kind of like kebabs, but they're a little bit not kebabby shaped. Uh, you know, that with some with some fried Russian potatoes, uh, with some dill on top, it's, it's perfect. That would be my go-to. All right. I think what I'm going to do is uh, as I interview folks is I'm going to I'm going to build a the dish fantasy baseball draft cookbook. Nice. I'm going to need some help. So anyone listening, if you want to submit stuff, I'm not going to take credit for it. It's going to be free. I'll make a PDF. We'll send it out. You can choose a variety of different uh, options. So your your mother in law is on the hook now, Vlad, to give me the recipe. We'll put it in. Nice. We'll make it work. We'll do it. Where can folks find your work? I I, I know people follow you already, much more so than they do me. But uh, where can they find your work? Where where can they find what's next from you? Well, first of all, I want to just uh, thank you for for having me on. Um, uh, you know, you to me, you know, you're you're an OG. I think uh, for I think for over a decade, I've I've known you and and chatted with you and appreciate your first of all one of the best hosts out there just uh Thanks, man. your voice and your style so i appreciate you coming on but uh yeah i'm i'm uh, at, at ftnfantasy.com and that's where our baseball package is right now lots of preseason content uh doing a lot of uh, tier, uh, tiering by position articles at the moment uh got some other cool things there like juice worth, worth the squeeze comparing players at different adp ranges and uh, a lot of in-depth content for specific uh, types of contests uh, but yeah, and uh, at RotoGut on Twitter and uh, FTNFantasy.com. That is fantastic. Appreciate you, Vlad. And we'll talk to you again down the line. To anyone who is drafting now, please, happy drafting. <laughs>